keeping in touch and uh, ensuring our teams are doing well from a well-being standpoint is a top priority. And number two, uh, hiring. We're going to grow our team by 40, 45 headcount this year. And it's harder than ever. I've never seen a hiring environment so tight as this one. Starting with recruiters. We can't hire enough recruiters. And when we have recruiters, it's hard to get people to apply and interview. So it's a really competitive hiring marketplace. And that's going to be a huge area of focus this year. This is Sales Ops Demystified, the number one most downloaded podcast in sales operations. We invite the brightest minds in sales ops onto the show to deconstruct the what, why, and how behind rep productivity, forecasting, metrics, and all things revenue. This podcast is brought to you by EBSA, a revenue intelligence platform used to identify risk in the pipeline and score customer engagement and is sponsored by the Global Sales Operations Association and the UK Revenue Operations Network. Hello and welcome to another very special episode of the Sales Ops Demystified podcast. Today, we're joined by Akira Mamizuka, who is the Global Sales Operations uh, VP at LinkedIn. Akira, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Tom. Thanks for having me. Very excited to spend some time with uh, folks from the Sales Ops trade. Now, I'm, I'm quoting directly from your LinkedIn, Akira, but it says here, to work in sales operations is to be inside the engine room in the middle of the action. Was this something that you knew about sales ops before you made your way into the field? Or was there some other motivation for joining sales ops? I'd say I had um, a notion of how it would be, but it turned out uh, even more special and exciting than I expected. Um, I started my career in consulting. I spent uh, seven, eight years in management consulting. My last firm was McKinsey. And um, at that point in time, I had done a lot of work in uh, strategy and started to focus more on sales-related topics. So how to optimize distribution channels, incentive models, reseller strategy, uh, covert strategy. So I started to develop a lot of passion about uh, sales, sales operations, sales strategy. Uh, but at some point in time, I really wanted to transition from being an advisor to being an operator. Um, and fast forward, that's exactly how it feels. It really feels to be in the middle of the engine room, the middle of the action. That's, uh, that's uh, my passion. I have seen this a few times, this transition from consulting slash advising into sales ops. What is it? like? Are you just basically doing sales ops work for clients when you're in consulting? Uh, partially, because in, in consulting, um, you do a lot of the uh, diagnostic work, the recommendation, and at times an implementation plan. Uh, but you're never really running an operation. You're never really in charge of delivering a, a fiscal year plan. You're never really in charge of delivering a forecast, solving real problems. 
So I got to experiment a little bit uh, uh, of the function, uh, but I really wanted to get my hands dirty and uh, uh, again, be in the middle of the action. And what a journey it's been. I think it's seven years at LinkedIn, um, starting as head of sales ops in LATAM, I believe, all the way to now VP. What, like, if you had to sum up the, the sales ops journey at LinkedIn for the last seven years in one word, what, what, what would that be? Wow. Uh, transformative. I can imagine the, um, the growth and change within LinkedIn over the past seven years would have been incredible. Could you, right now, if it's okay, just give an idea of the structure of the sales ops function and also maybe the sales teams as well, if that can be done fast, just to give the audience a better, bit of context as to where how sales ops fits into LinkedIn. Absolutely. Um, so we, we have at the highest level on LinkedIn, um, we have uh, two um, types of businesses um, that sell to companies. We have a media business, which sells advertising for companies on LinkedIn. And then we have SaaS businesses that sell subscription services to companies. Uh, that um, in, Within SaaS, uh, you have um, lines of business that helps HR organizations and talent acquisition organizations to hire people to LinkedIn. And then we have a business called Sales, sales Solutions that helps sales organizations to be more productive and successful uh, through LinkedIn. In terms of SaaS, which is what we're responsible for, uh, we, we have a traditional sales dev, hunter, uh, farmer uh, model. And we have around uh, 4,000 sales reps globally uh, across those different functions. Um, and we do have a sales operations function that partner with uh, sales leadership um, to make sure our sales teams are productive and successful, to make sure we are allocating the right resources in the right places, to make sure we are maximizing our, our penetration in the, in, in the markets we want to expand. Uh, so sales ops has evolved over the years. Uh, when I started, we had essentially one type of sales ops professional who was responsible for everything. As we grew and scale, we realized that uh, for us to continue to evolve the function, we had to develop more specialization. So now we have, within sales ops, we have teams specialized only on planning and performance, on systems and tools, on business intelligence. Um, so we're now in the process of building that specialization and those foundations because uh, that's the future of sales ops at LinkedIn. Amazing. So 4,000 reps on the SaaS side, roughly how many sales ops people? Um, we have roughly around uh, 200. Incredible. So that ratio is 1 to 20. So I tried to track the ratio between ops to, to reps. And the average, I think, is about 1 to 15. So that sounds about right. Um, what do you think? And this, again, is probably like a pretty big picture question or maybe hard to answer. What do you think is like the one thing that you have done in sales ops at LinkedIn that had the, not the biggest, but had a, had a really good impact? Um, there's a few things I'm, I'm, a pr I'm proud of that I worked uh, with my teams. Uh, but if I were to quote one change that I, I, I drove that has been quite impactful and successful, and I alluded to this change a little bit, which is um, in the past, a lot of our decisions and process and intelligence, they were very much um, fragmented and they were sitting, they sat with the regional teams uh, on, uh, on uh, internationally and in the US. Uh, and that was helpful in our, our first five or 10 years of our journey because it really empowered the regional teams to grow as fast as possible. 
But at some point in time, we realized that we needed like more decision-making and intelligence at the global level. Not that we're shifting away from the regions that we're, uh, we're uh, better uh, balancing where decision-making and, and process and intelligence is by building processes, reporting, modeling, forecasting at the global level. So moving those decisions and, and, and not, not removing, but sharing those decisions from the regional teams with the global teams. And one example, uh, from a planning standpoint, the process to define how much we're going to grow and how much how many headcount we need by type of headcount and where those headcount would sit. Um, in the past, was very much that decision, this process set with the regional teams, uh, which created some degree of inconsistency, some not really optimal decision-making and resource allocation. Um, I helped move those the planning process from the regional teams to the global teams, and now we're much more streamlined. We're able to make better decisions and faster uh, driven top-down. Makes total sense. What is it, would you say, if like your core focus within SaaS sales ops of LinkedIn for the rest of 2021? Um, well, if I were to quote one only, um, allow me to quote two, but the, the number one uh, remains employee well-being. Uh, although LinkedIn is doing uh, very well in the context of the global pandemic, uh, there we still have a lot of people who are struggling to work remotely or they have uh, their taking care of an uh, EO uh, family member. So um, keeping in touch and uh, ensuring our teams are doing well from a well-being standpoint is a, is a top priority. Uh, and number two, uh, hiring. Uh, we, we're going to grow our team by 40, 45 headcount this year. And it's harder than ever. I've never seen a hiring environment so tight as this one. Uh, starting with recruiters. Uh, we can't hire enough recruiters. Uh, and when we have recruiters, uh, it's hard to get people to apply an interview. Um, so it's a really competitive hiring marketplace. Uh, and that, that's going to be a huge area of focus this year. So that's going to be, a, if my math is correct, 25%, approximately 25% increase in headcount. Um, did you say before the end of the year? Before the end of the year, yeah. Or yeah. The, the fiscal year, we are on a July-June uh, fiscal. So we just started our new fiscal year. Um, and just for a bit of context, this year we also absorbed um, a, a function that runs operations for our, what I call the it's not, it's, uh, it's customer operations. So it's, it's a team that helps uh, sort out customer issues. It's a team of a thousand people and we have a, a team of, 20 or so that run operations for the contact center. So that's part of our scope as well. We're, my teams now go, go beyond sales ops to include customer operations as well. So the, that's, that's included in those numbers. Amazing. I mean, you may have to change the title to RevOps, but that's a whole different story. Alex, over to you. Thanks, Tom. I'm going to ignore that long pause as I scramble to find my mouse. Um, so I'll start that again to make it easy actually for the recording. Just coming out and say, Thanks, Tom, and thanks, Akira. It was really um, interesting just to hear a bit about your background and what's been going on at LinkedIn. First piece is maybe a slightly cheeky question, um, but based on your, your talking about your starting in consulting and then moving to sales operations, um, having made the move that way, I wondered, and, and you know, full disclosure, I'm essentially in consulting around RevOps, but I wonder what your most, what's your most sort of frustrating thing with, with, with consultants or what was the, what was the thing that, that you thought that they just don't deliver enough value on for a business? Well, 
there's a, there's, well, there's a few things that uh, made me uh, move uh, transition careers. Uh, but if I were to quote the, the number one piece is at some point you, you learn the whole toolkit, which is a really valuable toolkit, but you, uh, um, you get frustrated or you, you miss uh, seeing the results or the impact of your work. Uh, at times, your last interaction with a, with a client is, is a meeting where you deliver a presentation, a recommendation, or a PowerPoint deck. And uh, oftentimes, you, you learn after a few months or after a year that the client uh, didn't have the resources or the capabilities to implement any of the recommendations uh, so that was uh, one of the, maybe the most frustrating or disappointing aspects of consulting, in my opinion. Okay. And have you had any, have you, have you used any consultants since? Have you got any uh, from the other side of the fence now as a practitioner having people support you? Have you, have you found any need for using consultants or any, any downsides in working with consultants? Uh, well, I don't see downsides. I think in the within the right context for the with the right goals, uh, there's a lot of value in working uh, with consulting firms. Um, I'd say at LinkedIn there are so many ex-consultants like myself. Um, there's a very high number that there is a, almost like a little bit of a um, an allergic reaction when you mentioned uh, hiring consultants to come and do project work just because there's so much expertise in-house. Uh, so we almost operate on a little bit of an, uh, an extreme end of the spectrum. Often we, all, we rarely work with consultants. But having said that, there's a few situations when I engage with them, didn't up, not close, didn't up closing a project, but uh, uh, yeah, there will be, there'll be a, an opportunity soon. Yeah, no, no. That's just it's just interesting to to think about. And um, I said, you know, the approach that we, we we sort of take is we want to be is active through the process. So exactly as you say, so that our last interaction with someone isn't here's a load of recommendations. It's like here's all the stuff we're going to go carry out. If you're happy, let's go do it. Otherwise, yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, you're at the mercy of, of whether it gets done. Um, but no, that was just it's just interesting to understand and and also to see that your your desire to be in you know, actually. To sort of see something through to the end and, and in charge of running the show. And I guess the other thing with the, if you're consulting at the start of the journey, while you may know the playbook and you may trust the playbook, you've not necessarily seen it always proved out. And so proving it out and working out the little iterations and the changes and the very specific things for a certain use case that might, you know, go beyond that. I suppose that must be, be quite interesting about being hands on now in a new environment. Totally. And then the other thing that was really interesting to me as you talked about is just, you know, um, was that move, that process where you, you, you sort of took back kind of the planning process for regional teams back to the global team so that you could have a sort of better kind of strategy. But the thing that really interested me was you said, actually, it was absolutely the right thing that those regions had autonomy. So as, as your journey, presumably start, you know, started, then it went, the autonomy went out to the regions so they could grow fast. And then it was like figuring out the time when it was right to take back um, that process and run it as a more streamlined global operation. I just wondered if there was any, any markers around that, things that, that helped you make those decisions and, and also to realize when the time was right to, to give teams a bit more autonomy and when it was time to run, to run it coming up from a global perspective. Does that make sense? So quite a long question. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I will, I will share a couple observations or insights from the, the first moment when uh, it was really uh, valuable to have autonomy at the regional level, and then an insight when we we felt it was the moment to centralize uh, decisions uh, from a planning standpoint. So in the first um, wave of growth, um, 
there was a lot of value of having autonomy and decision making at the regional level uh, because the regional teams they 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 cover um, a huge surface area. For example, in Latin America, we had uh, now we have two uh, offices: uh, Brazil, Brazil, and Mexico. But when I started, it was only Brazil I had just opened the office down there, covering the whole Latin America, uh, forty countries or so. Um, and um, from being in Brazil, covering the whole all of Latin America, I would always have a much better understanding of of like where our next dollar or next headcount should go from an opportunity standpoint, much better than somebody uh, be, being headquarters. So, for example, we we knew when. Uh, the moment was right for us to build a presence in Mexico because uh, we had scaled the business to a stage where it was not sustainable or productive anymore to have reps flying from Sao Paulo to Mexico or took over uh, Northern Latin America. Um, so that was one one example of, of why autonomy, regional level autonomy was important in the first journey, the first moment of the journey. Uh, but then it came up a, a point in time when our company was already public. Um, we um, were acquired by Microsoft, and then we started to have a lot more rigor in terms of things such as uh, margins. Um, not only about how fast our re revenue is growing, but how you know how product productive those dollars are. Um, and then we realized that we had to make some tough trade-offs in terms of okay, wh where the next dollar goes. And then when you started to look at uh, ROI of investments and headcount investments between the regions, we saw that we were making investments that would be uh, much better uh, made in other area or other types of resources or headcount. So that's when you started to realize that we need to take a much smarter uh, top-down portfolio approach from an investment standpoint. And really to do that well, you gotta, you got to move uh, decision-making um, top-down. Brilliant. And I think that's just super helpful and, and really clear. And I, and I guess it, it really tracks with a company's sort of maturity journey. And um, yeah, when you're in rapid growth, the more, more autonomous things can be, you know, efficiency is not necessarily the name of the game. It's just growth. But once, yeah, once you're a bit more established, and now you have, yeah, um, more stakeholders to worry about. And yeah, really treating that as an investment. That was really helpful. Um, great. And then the, 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 the final piece was just, um, you know, you're just talking about you know, sort of the well-being priority, um, and I'm just wondering because I, I think you know that must be a, it's likely a massive concern for for most people still, and and also a, a real one of the benefits I think to come out of the pandemic. Not to say that people weren't concerned with their employees and staff well-being before, but I think a renewed focus and understanding that as the as the business one, we can trust people to work from home and still be productive. Now we can sort of there's a it's just moving. I think the the understanding of employment forward in that, that sense. So I just wondered if you had any you know insights on how you're trying to make sure you're looking after the, the well-being of your your team and any anything you found particularly helpful to sort of um, progress that. Absolutely, and I'll share some some thoughts in terms of uh, some of the thinking and 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 actions we uh, implemented at a company level. First, we we realized that um, ultimately we want to have an impact in the world because we're LinkedIn, um, but it always starts with the self. Um, we have to ensure that our selves are we are in a good place, so then we can have an impact in the company and then the world. But it always starts with the self and well-being. 
so at a company level, over the last 12 months, we've uh, launched a, many programs to, to make sure employees are, are, are in a good place from a well-being standpoint. Uh, we, we offered um, three months uh, called EFA, Emergency Family Leave. Um, forgot the name, what the acronym means. But uh, if, you ha- if you have a family member that is struggling or you need to take care of, of a, a child, you can take up to three months of full, uh, fully paid leave. Um, uh, we gave, last April, we gave a week off to the whole company. They said, you've done amazingly well. You need some rest as a company. So we shut down for a full week. And the wonderful thing about the model is you come back after a week and don't have to go through a thousand emails. You're not feeling behind on that project because the whole company uh, stopped. Um, for, for people like myself, who's uh, an immigrant, my family is back in Brazil. We, we have a, pro, uh, a program called uh, Work From Any Country, where I can go back and, and work from Brazil for a, for a month um, uh, without my manager approval. Um, so there's other examples, but we we are doubling down on making sure that our employees are are in a good place and they they can be uh, productive and successful at the company. That sounds sounds amazing. Okay, yeah, really wonderful things to be doing, and um, yeah, really obviously great great leadership and and just that yeah that investing in those two things, investing in your employees and investing in flexibility and and understanding. And you know, I'm sure from your perspective, you you know, and especially your team, you've really appreciated that and that helps you know get the most out of you. And as you said, you know, to having that extra week off and coming back without a thousand emails and just a whole week's worth of work to catch up must make a, make a real difference. And, you know, we've spoken to some other people and saying how, you know, they saw at the start of the pandemic productivity was rising because people were actually doing more from home. And then their biggest concerns was how they got their team to work less because productivity was starting to dip and overworking was becoming a big deal. And actually we've got so much time that we can give productively before we are, we tapped out. So, yeah, really helpful to hear some of the the things that we've been doing around that. So, thanks very much, Tom. You're going to come back. I'm back. Akira, final and most important question: Who in the world of sales ops would you most like to take for lunch? Um, I would say a guy who's highly influential to my career at LinkedIn uh, called Brian Frank. He's a He's a legend in the sales operations work world. Uh, he uh, was VP of global operations at LinkedIn for a decade. Uh, and a lot of the things that we have in place, uh, I mean, a lot of success that we, we still have today is, uh, is because of this guy, Brian Frank, and I have a very close uh, personal connection with him. These days, he's COO at Cameo. And that's the guy I would take uh, out for lunch. Incredible. Brian, shout out to Brian. Interesting to go um, from her self-leaders to COO. That does make sense though. Um, Akira, I want to thank you so much. The seven years at LinkedIn must have been, as you said, transformational. So I want to thank you for coming on and being so open with learnings, with your experience. I think it's going to be incredibly valuable for the audience. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Tom. Thanks, Alex. Really enjoyed talking to you guys today. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sales Ops Demystified podcast. If you are listening on a podcast listening application, then please subscribe, rate, and review. And if you have any questions about the show, if you know a guest, or if you have any questions about sales operations, just hit me up at tomhunt at ebster.com. That's tomhunt at ebster.com.
www.thepeopleshow.com. 